Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the CX Cast. Today, we're going to talk about how we make executives actually care about CX. And to answer that big question, I have Tony Rodoni, who is the EVP of Customer Experience at Salesforce, here to join me. How's it going, Tony? I'm doing great, Angelina. Thanks for having me. Of course. So maybe we could start with a little of your background. I'm sure folks are wondering what your experience in CX is, as well as your experience with executives, for that matter. Oh, right on. Thanks for asking. I've been in high tech for my whole career for 35 years. I started off as a software engineer, and I became a product manager, and I moved into marketing and sales. And boy, for the past 20 plus years, I've been executives in startups and bigger companies like Salesforce, where I've been for 15 years in different executive roles. So many are customer facing. And I say what I, I feel like what I've learned is my best career experiences are when the company has a purpose, not when we're transactional, but transformational. And for me personally, being purpose driven, I remember when I ran part of sales and we had a quota. So I guess part of my job was to quote, sell more. But our real job was to help companies improve their operations and grow their business. And if we did that, well, guess what? They'd buy more. And I guess I would then sell more. And I, I think that process led me into a customer experience role about two and a half years ago here at Salesforce, really helping transform our company to make sure we still kept our customers at the center of everything we do. Got it. And I think a lot of folks probably are curious about how you distinguish CX for yourselves versus CX for your clients. So do you have your own CX team at Salesforce? Are you thinking about your own customer experience as well as those for your customers? The simple answer to that is yes to both. A lot of what we're doing with our products and solutions are to help our customers transform the experience they're providing theirs. And boy, we know if we're helping them do that, well, they're going to hold us to a pretty high standard on how we interact with them. And we have CX throughout the business. And I think, you know, one of the things I've learned from podcasts like yours is every company does it slightly differently based on where they are in their journey. And here we've had teams with voice of customer, customer survey, scorecards, et cetera. Specifically in my small team is really meant to be matrixed to help the company and the rest of the business keep investing in and prioritizing customer experience, just like we prioritize performance and innovation and other categories of the business. So when you are thinking about supporting your team and on also developing relationships with lots of different stakeholders, are executives just kind of another genre of stakeholder or is there something fundamentally different about how you're thinking about developing that relationship? So they, they are a stakeholder, but I don't want to say just another stakeholder because they wield so much investment influence. Right. So it's really important for us to think about how we make executives prioritize and care about CX. And even the way I state that might actually not be right. I don't need to make them care about it. We often joke our job isn't to convince them to care about CX. It's to help them convince themselves to care about customer experience. And I think it's almost like a facet of a diamond. You don't say, well, you care about this and nothing else. It's an and equation where we need to make sure we care about customer experience, just like we care about data privacy and system availability and other attributes of our service that are incredibly important to our clients. That's really interesting. Convincing themselves. If someone's just kind of starting out on this and thinking about, I want to convince executives. No, actually, I want them to convince themselves. What are some things they can think about to kind of get executives to start thinking about CX? 
Well, first of all, it depends on how an executive sells themselves or learns themselves. A financial exec, a CFO is going to want to see a lot of numbers, right? An experiential exec is going to want to know what that experience is like for folks. So I think it's really important that you don't have a one formula fits all. Uh, And we've been really careful as we work on this to think about people that are very numbers driven. I love when I go to a Forrester conference and George Colony, your CEO, gets up and says, hey, as a CEO, what do I care about? I care about revenue, profit, and stock price. So if George was an executive that I was trying to influence to think about CX, what I would try to do is connect the dots between those metrics and good customer experience. And I'll give an example. One of the things we've done with customer satisfaction metrics, take NPS for an example, we've done analysis at Salesforce where we can look at an account or a customer's NPS score. We can then figure out what their lifetime value is based on their NPS score. And guess what? Customers that are happier buy more, which helps us. And we have more revenue, we have more profit, and we get more revenue and more profit over time. I think it's really important if I was speaking to George to say, well, George can do a lot of things to maximize revenue and profit this year and this year only. But if he sacrificed CX, it probably wouldn't be returning revenue and returning profit in future years. Now, that's different. So we talked about a CFO or a numbers-driven person. For many people, it's not showing them the numbers, but showing them the story of what it's like for a large number of clients. It can be going through surveys and first reading a bunch of really good comments and quotes from clients, but then showing them hundreds of negative comments that they might receive, or actually having them become a secret shopper. You can, in a B2C company, one of the best ways to get executives to care about the customer experience is have them actually try to be the customer and be very hidden when they're doing that. So people don't know it's one of the executives that's going through the experience. Undercover bosses. I always love that show. The question you ask is the puzzle. You could do a whole series podcast on this because you really have to think about how, how each of your executives think and how the company thinks and what the culture is, and then adapt that style to what the team wants. And here's a metaphor I want to think about. Remember we used to walk down halls in our office do you know yeah. what they that owned something, but they were such a zealot about it, they weren't broad enough to think about anything but that one area. And when, they, when you saw them coming down the hall to you, you turned and went to the coffee machine, even if you didn't want coffee, because you didn't want them to just hammer you on this one and only thing. First, another exec can really think about how they all fit together. And I think about this when I used to walk down the halls. Do I want to be the exec that's such a zealot for CX that everybody turns away from me? Or do I need to be the exec that says, yes, it's CX and these other areas, and how do I partner with you to make that happen? And I think it, in my company and in our culture, it's an and. And when I walk down that hall, Angelina, I want you to say, hey, Tony, guess what we've done to improve CX, not turn and run to a cup of coffee you don't want. I think the difference there is it, it feels more like a shared responsibility than something I am obsessed with and own for myself and that others don't want to share with me. Sure. Don't you think when I've been around teams that do it well, a leader or the team will say, hey, who's responsible for, and then they'll fill in the blank, who's responsible for security at this company? And the answer is we all are. Uh, who's responsible for customer experience? And the answer should be we all are. And that's an important part about building culture into any of these dimensions, including customer experience. But you're right. Our job is, I don't want to... S- I want to say when I first got, when I first moved into CX, I, I, had a, I had sleepless nights thinking I'm responsible for everybody's interaction with us, no matter who they are and where and 
how am I ever going to be successful here? And the transformational moment for me personally was realizing my job is to help everybody understand that and sleep, you know, stay awake a little bit at night so that they feel like we collectively own this. And then I have the power of a huge organization to fix it rather than be the one backstop for you know, every experience, good or bad in the company. I get that. What does an executive that cares a lot look like versus, you know, you obviously are sort of like the apostle of CX. And then you've got an executive that's got a lot of different things on their plate. So what does caring a lot look like when they are balancing all those other things? So I would say caring a lot means it's in their, what I'll call their planning pie mix. If you think I'm planning for something, I'm trying to plan growth if I'm a sales team or a new release if I'm an R&D. And R&D is going to say, well, we need security and quality. And sales are going to say, hey, we need to be trusted advisors and X, Y, Z. You know, my goal is to help them build customer experience into that lexicon for them. Then they get to decide where are they at, where do they aspire to, and where are they at against that, and then how do they how do they want to invest to improve it? But the the real goal is to have them build it into their plans. At a company like Salesforce, where guess what, we're helping customers improve their customer experience, so we have a pretty high bar. This is easier for me than if I was at a company that didn't care about it, but. I also work with them to do a cross-functional prioritization exercise so that we can look across the company and say, what are the most important things we improve on customer experience, regardless of what part of the function it sits in? And that's another way to have joint accountability with these other execs. It's not all of a sudden I give them something hard that they have to own. It's like we all have to own this together. And there's for these execs, it's pretty tricky, right? The easy ones are ones that fit in their silos. The hard ones are the ones that cross organizational boundaries and have to own with another leader or set of leaders in the business. Uh, and we use journey maps and cross-functional teams to help solve those as well. Got it. I love the idea of introducing the different tools in here to share that understanding. You mentioned journey maps. Is that a good place to start? Maybe getting them involved or in journey mapping or putting together a journey map that everyone can agree on? Yep. I think the answer to that, Angelina, is it depends because it's really, it's so situational in your company. And I, I would say if I could think of a mistake, I feel like the CX community makes by and large, it's getting people to care too much about the how over the what. And again, I don't mean to be unfair. The how is incredibly important, but I would say most execs don't care about the how. Let me give you an example. It doesn't relate to CX per se. Many companies that deliver products and apps use an agile methodology. But the truth is you as a consumer or you as an exec of a company that writes software or an app, you just want a good app, right? You don't care whether it was done agile or not, but if agile made it good, that's fantastic. But do you care about the minutia of what the team did in the agile? Is an exec, I think not. Maybe if you're an R&D exec, yes. So I think the same thing with CX. Uh, the execs we work with care less about the tools we use, like prioritization, voice of customer scorecard, job speed done frameworks, and journey maps. They care more about the outcome. And then I, I want them to say, well, shoot, how did you do this? Like the people have struggled. And then the how is we are introducing or enabling them on these tools on, in a way, no pun intended, on their journey. So yes, journey maps are important helping voice of customer tools, culture. Each of those are important, but 
at my company, if I rotate too much to that, that what they care about is how are we improving a user experience, their startup experience? What happened when they first bought? What's the buying journey like? And I want to make sure I stay probably 70% focused on that and only 30% when communicating to them on the how I did it behind the scenes. Yeah, I like that. I think we have such a small amount of their attention. We might as well make the most of it and probably getting down the nitty gritty of how to journey map is yeah. the most efficient. Some of them might be curious and really grasp onto it, right? And then you've got a great partner in it. By far, where I feel we've had success is we go through these projects where we're enabling people and evangelizing how important customer experience is. And I know it sticks when the next three or four projects after that, they're doing things that our CX team, quote, wasn't even around or involved. But those teams just say, look, this is part of our, cust- our, our customer experience. We have to do this. That Tony Rodoni and that team, it's important to them. And we know, this is my favorite part, we know this is the right thing to do. So ultimately, if you help people understand how it fits, it's not all or nothing. It is one of these facets of a diamond or a piece of their planning pie, but it fits in with the other parts. That's when you create the flywheel of customer experience that's happening in the company that you don't necessarily see. But if you've trained them on the other dimensions, journey mapping, here's how we're going to treat this. Here's how we'll do a prioritization exercise. Uh, here's how we listen to voice of customer, et cetera. Those are the tools that help them repeat it over and over again. I like how there are softer benchmarks to look for in terms of success and culture and winning over teams. It's not just your typical CX KPIs. You also have to kind of get a feel for how people are talking about it, what's going on when you're not around. I have heard from a lot of CX leaders that how people address the customer experience when the CX team isn't in the room is one of the biggest benchmarks of success. I think a strong CX team when they're around could make big, big change in a short period of time. So there's power in that. The question is, as they're doing that, what do they do to enable the organization to be able to do that themselves over time? So you can prime the pump and get one or two great sets of changes done, but will you create an environment and culture and learning that people believe it and want to do it themselves? And and that's a tightrope, Angelina, you you can, or a teeter-totter. You can tilt one way because you have a short-term goal, but you have to, you have to balance it over time. And I don't, I don't think there's one perfect way. It's really dependent on where you and your company or your listeners and their companies are at any given time. So I think the answer is no, but I'm going to ask anyways. Do you think you could ever then work yourself out of the job if everyone understands CX perfectly and what they're supposed to do? Boy, interesting question. Do I think I'm in a rapidly growing company? So here, there, you know, every year there's more people that we have to enable and train. So I would say you're right. The answer is no in my situation. But what we work on and how we do it is very different. I'm amazed and humbled that you invited me to do this because I still feel like a rookie in CX. I'm you know, almost three years in. But I would say what we work on each year is very different thematically. And I use an example like CX prioritization is now we've done it enough years in a row that teams understand it. We aren't getting in debates over why do we use this model and what's the importance of it and more. It's about the process to say, are we getting the most important things done? And gee, well, how come our other investment areas don't use this model? So that is different year three or four as people have been enabled than in year one where they're just trying to figure out what it is. 
And I do think as I work with my peers in other companies, it's also a question of what your company has given you permission to work on. If the company doesn't want you to enable, but wants you to fix something, well, hey, go fix it. If in the long run, you're going to need to enable, well, go enable. And this is really what makes our function so disparate, not just B2C, but you know, across every company. Cool. Keeping you on your toes every year, it sounds like. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I was just working on this project as we thought, what are our themes for next year? And you asked earlier about journey mapping. And we thought, you know, we do some journey mapping, but we aspire to be better at it. And okay, how do we make this the year where we integrate journey mapping with the tool our own product and engineering organization uses when they go through their target customer personas? They use a model called jobs to be done. So one of the things I'm working on for next year in 2021 will, will be how do we integrate and make those really fit together so that we can multiply the work our product management and engineering do, is doing and get them closer to CX at the same time, helping the CX experience get more tightly close to what our own engineering groups are doing. Yeah, I like that. I like adopting the tools that are already there rather than just constantly thinking about new tools and new ways of working to incorporate seems more collaborative. Yeah. And again, I think it's just going to depend on where a company is on their journey or maturity level on CX. And some of our first generations, a lot of it was in silos and that low hanging fruit of getting some easy projects done that improve customer experience, kind of build some muscle memory in people in their departments so that they want to tackle some harder ones that are cross-functional. But ultimately, and maybe this is where we want to go next in this conversation is, it really has to do with culture. When you know, I, I don't sit in a forester type position, but I know that if companies think about customer and how they describe their business and values, they're more likely to make it through this transformation. And I still work with companies that when I ask them their values or what's important and what their priorities are, it's all internal speak. And I know they're going to have a tough, a tough road to hoe if they're really going to make it through to really transform themselves to be customer oriented. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the culture element is interesting. There's a lot of things we can ask executives to do to help along CX initiatives and projects, but there's also that cultural element we could ask of them as well. Do you have any thoughts around how we can ask executives to help further customer-centric culture? Yeah, I really think you have to think about who your ultimate customer is. And it really depends on the company and business and the leaders on if they can do that, you know, communicate themselves and think about what it's like to be their ultimate customer. And I work with companies in the pharmaceutical industry right now, and they think about the patient experience. But three or four years ago, they weren't thinking about the patient experience. They were thinking like, how do, I, how does, how do we get these therapeutics into distribution and their customer experience was really their distribution experience. But in the past 18 to 24 months, they're really thinking of patient experience as a way to transform. But that, that's coming from the top and that's coming from how the CXOs and those companies are thinking about where they want to be in the future. And I think you have to have a visionary executive that wants to not say, I care about quote CX, but we care about who our ultimate customer is and what that relationship is with them and how we have brand affinity with them. And if, if we care about that, well then naturally CX will be a part of the mix. But if they don't care about that and they're still on this, you know, a distribution mentality, they might care about their distribution experience, which if their industry gets disrupted or there's any type of transformational change, they'll be in trouble. I love the pharmaceuticals example because 
we can see very clearly how changing that mindset actually improves the well-being of the people that we are selling these products to. If we are incentivized to just pump out more products, get people to buy more, and we're not thinking about their actual needs, it's pretty dangerous in pharmaceuticals. Yeah. So it's a very clear example of how you are actually not just improving the experience, but could potentially align your corporate values to the values of your customers as well. There's been some pretty innovative people at thinking of different versions of this. You know, well, I'm going to timestamp this podcast. Over the weekend, Tony Shea passed away, sadly, the founder of Zappos. And if you want to think of somebody who really transformed customer experience, not just through online shopping, but you know, there's so many famous stories of how he transformed the call center culture at Zappos. And if you've ever bought or purchased something or called their support line, you understand that. But for the listeners that haven't, what Zappos basically have, has no metrics for how many cases you close out or how short your calls are. They, were, they actually were contrarians to this. They told people, you're on the phone. There's somebody who's buying shoes. Help them. Whatever that means, use your best judgment. And if it means you tell them to go buy it somewhere else because we don't have it or we don't have their size, that's fine because we want them to have a great experience knowing that they're going to be an advocate or come back someday. And they celebrated calls that took 45 minutes that uh, lonely people that weren't even buying shoes would call for. <laughs> you know? And I don't, I don't advocate that everybody do that, but it, it's a, a good reminder that you know good CX when you see it, even in spite of all the metrics that tell you it's not good CX. Yeah. And that permission definitely comes from the top. I mean, we can have certain parts of the business that have great cultures and others that don't feel like they have that permission to express themselves to the customer, express their values. So it does kind of need to come from the top so that everyone is kind of feels that same sense of I can live these values and I have the right environment to do that. Yep. And how you reinforce it is so important. One of my big lessons learned during 2020 is we do some post-sales surveys with our clients, just asking them what their experience was like. And we started this because we would occasionally we get a note on somebody not having a great experience. We're like, well, boy, is that the tip of the iceberg or is it the whole iceberg? Uh, and as we've run this over the past few years, fortunately, what I've learned is the majority of the experiences our customers have are tremendous. But I read every survey response. And when they have positive quotes, let me tell you, I mean, my heart gets warmer, right? And when you do a negative one, when they come in, it hurts, it feels personal. But one way we've built it in our culture here at Salesforce is I take those results and we notify the whole account team when that there's a positive one, including the quote, and we would reinforce it up their management chain. And it would say, hey, Angelina, your client just said this amazing thing about you. And we'll let your boss and your boss's boss and up the chain know thank you for giving our customers a good experience. And it reinforces that culture. And on the flip side, we also share it transparently if we get a negative one. And then we might say, well, one of our top values is trust and customer success. What can you and the account team do to help improve and demonstrate those values with our client? And just that experience alone has improved internally with our teams of modeling and knowing what it looks like when we do it right and giving positive coaching and reinforcement when the customer expects better. Yeah. I like how you emphasize positive coaching because I think a lot of CX leaders who are just starting out are trying to figure out how to avoid playing the blame game when something isn't going well. 
And it does seem like it's a framing exercise more than anything. Yeah. Well, this will really depend on your model and your company. My company, we're B2B that does direct sales. And we have thousands of people that are customer facing. So what we're really, and, and the majority are doing a fantastic job. And if some aren't, the question should be, well, is that enablement and training? Is it mindset? Do we have the wrong person in the wrong role? Is our manager not helping? So th- this is the part that might answer your earlier question. We're always going to have a job in CX if we're always trying to help enable and train people on what good looks like and how to reinforce it. Awesome. Everyone, thank you for tuning in. That was Tony Rodoni from Salesforce. He is the EVP of customer experience there. Tony, thanks so much for joining and lending us your insights. Thanks for having me, Angelina. Of course. And we are produced by the amazing Amanda Chen. Tune in next week for our next episode of the CX Cast. 